0: So uh, welcome, everyone, to today's call. Our nonprofit group has been meeting for months now, every two weeks, which has been great. It's nice to hear what everybody is up to. I appreciate um, everybody taking the time to be on the call every couple of weeks. And uh, for Dave to uh, lead this group, it's been great. Um, today's going to be a little different, so uh, we'll, we'll just get into it. Um, I appreciate Again, everybody's time, and I'm going to turn it over to Dave now, and we're going to um, get started, and then um, Senator McSally will join us, like he said, at 4.30. Yeah,
1: and just to kind of be clear that she's joining us in her capacity as our senator, and we'll be talking on issues currently in front of the Senate or being dealt with by the administration. Um, We're purposely avoiding election-type topics. Wanting to be uh, cognizant of issues related to nonprofits and electioneering and elected officials and all those kinds of things, so just wanted to make sure. And then we'll say that again before when the senator gets on. Um, So, and we've we've talked pretty uh, talked that talked to her about that as well. So, the appointment was set by her uh, congress her Senate staff, not her campaign staff. So, just wanted to put that out there. yeah, here we are again another couple of weeks later. Uh, doesn't seem like much has changed other than case counts are going down in Arizona, as everybody knows. Unemployment also is a little bit down too, which is good. Um, hopefully people are finding work and getting back to work. One of the things I wanted to ask the group about was uh, was layoffs and hiring. Um, in the nonprofit industry, I know a lot of folks have gone through a lot of uh, funding struggles, we've canceled uh, special events that are fundraisers on our, for us. Um, And I think Melissa earlier was talking to a few of you about some of the challenges we've had with food drives. Um, And so I kind of wanted to hear from some of our nonprofits and churches and others that are on the call uh, about their, you know, are you, are you laying people off? Are you hiring? Are you working reduced hours? What are some of the, of our nonprofit partners experiencing in town? And after we talk about that a little bit, uh, maybe we can explore uh if if there are people that are have reduced hours are there people that need help that can hire some of our colleagues at reduced rates or at not reduced rates necessarily but at lower hours to to give us a little be- a bit of help if we're busy so let's i just wanted to explore that topic just a little bit so um you know i'll probably put somebody on the spot like shelly uh, or ray or joe or Joe or Larry, you know, talk a little bit about what you might be experiencing. Uh, David, um, are you anybody going through doing layoffs with their uh, staff at their nonprofits?
2: Dave, we uh, initially um, back in early spring did some layoffs, so we had a reduction in staff. Uh, But um, we did apply for and receive uh, a loan from the PPP and that allowed us to uh, hire uh, and uh, add to our staff. We still have many openings left and uh, we are doing some hiring right now. Nice. And what kind of uh, jobs do you have available? You know, it's a, it's a wide range. We've been looking for grant writers. I just hired a volunteer coordinator. I know that all of our programs, many of our programs are hiring right now. Frontline uh, workers uh, are needed. So um, from our shelter programs to after school programs, we have openings. Okay, if you're hiring,
1: put your name and your hiring manager's contact info in the chat box. uh, So people can grab that. Uh, cause in our network, we have people that have experience within non, you know, working for various nonprofits. So that'll give us an, give us an opportunity to share resources or staff, uh, anyone else, uh, David, anything going on in the new leaf? You're on mute, David.
3: Sorry. 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 Like Joe said, um, as far as for the agency, the reduction, um, I'm in a shelter. I'm one of those places that have like a case manager opening. Um, we, we, we've gotten in the final uh, expansion beds. So now we're just trying to hire the uh, additional staff as we try to work to fill the beds, which is both challenging, like I mentioned earlier, but uh, overnight staff, just shelter operation duties type of things, support partners, direct care staff type of work. So uh, our, our a lot of our, uh, we go through Indeed. So if you went to indeed.com and search for a new leap and you can find all our openings or our website at
1: www.turninnewleaf.org very good i know we have uh we just hired somebody we had a very difficult time finding accounting staff we were adding to our accounting staff and and we ended up having to go through a headhunter because it was difficult to fill that kind of position um but we are hiring for uh, folks in our development staff and We typically always have an opening or two for Class B truck drivers. So um, anybody else? Nadia, Sandra, George. Trying to see other people on my screen. Jenny, Joe. I'll go next. Thanks, Ray. Uh,
4: uh, Here at uh, CAFA, we we did not have to lay anybody off. most of our funding comes through uh, VOCA and DES, so we already had secure funding through, uh, through this whole time period, so we really didn't need any kind of additional funding or were any kind of worry about losing any funding. Um, we uh, did not apply for the uh, PPP mainly because of the fact that we had all the secure funding we were able to get additional funding through the CARES Act from uh, different groups. So that really helped us out quite a bit. And we also got additional funding from uh, various foundations who we already work with, who decided to give us additional funding because of, of, of what we were going through. And then we had a couple of uh, private companies who gave us some real large donations that really helped us get through the whole process. So it was, it's was. it been actually a uh, very good for us. Uh, we, When we start, first started this whole process, we did work on alternative schedule, even though we were considered uh, essential personnel. Um, we did that for about, I would say, almost two months. Uh, now everybody's back to work, both our outreach staff and our shelter. Uh, everybody's back to normal working hours. Uh, we just take the normal precautions, the wearing masks, and we have other kinds of secure things in place to make sure that we don't have any problems. And I only have one position opening right now, and that's for a uh, overnight shelter advocate. Uh, it's a 30-hour position, and uh, but that's the only position I have open right now.
1: Very good. If you'll refer to the chat box, Joe, Nicole, Sandra, uh, John Zalanka have all posted some links for uh, possible jobs. And Bob, uh, thanks for posting that. If you have an opening that you can share at the mesachamber.org website, Uh, Linda Haskell will give you a little assistance there for posting jobs. Now I know we have a few private sector partners on the call as well. Um, I know Rust, I see Rustin at APS uh, or others. Uh, How is the hiring going on at your organizations? Are you, uh, do you have a lot of openings, uh, people applying for those roles? Uh, How are things going there? Rustin, why don't we start with you if you're still on? Where did you go? I lost you. There he is. He's muted. Rustin, you still by the now? Maybe he's not by the phone anymore. Uh, Mark, Joe, Eric, anybody else, Uh, even uh, Peggy or Keith, how are your workforces looking in relation to, uh, to COVID and that kind of thing?
0: We are still hiring for um, general labor um, to work in our warehouse. And we are also looking for an accounting bookkeeper. So we'll keep looking unless somebody can refer someone to us.
5: <laughs> well, I, um, I um, you know, we haven't had that experience as of yet of not being able to fill the seats We usually train from within, but about a year and a half ago, we just, we started our own uh, temping agency to kind of help employ, uh, you know, men and women who are kind of hard to get employment. So we've been able to kind of tap into our own database and, uh, you know, that's been great. So, I mean, if someone is looking for some help that's willing to work with a, a nonprofit temp agency, we always have. Guys who are qualified to do labor jobs, short term and long terms, and uh, pricing—we're extremely competitive. And the good thing to know is that 100% of the money goes back into Streets of Joy, helping us operate. So uh, that's one of the things that's uh, that has been kind of to our advantage, you know, during this COVID situation. Is when when the, when the marketplace changed a little bit. There was not a lot of people looking for work because they were getting uh, the unemployment, so we were able to capture, you know, some, some different market shares at the time, but we're definitely not at the point where we're covering a hundred percent of our overhead yet, but, uh, you know, we're always looking for other opportunities to share our labor resource pool with. So if anyone were looking for some, some general labor, uh, we could definitely help you out.
1: Eric, thank you, Peggy. That might be a resource for you. Eric, um, uh, when you park, I, I know that you're driving a little bit, get into the chat box and please leave your contact information so people can reach out to you uh, if, they have the, uh, if they have some openings for you. And, and I'm going to keep you in mind too. We oftentimes have, uh, have general labor needs in our warehouse. We like to start people out and train them up and get them skilled up. So teach them how to drive a forklift and all that. So uh, anybody else want to share? I
0: think Nicole has um, some positions. Thank you. So um, for Acronis SES Vets, um, we have a couple sort of um, lower level positions open right now. We're hiring for like a nine month long um, marketing intern, um, and then we're also hiring for a shorter term like videographer contract. So if you know anyone with experience
6: on the videography side for nonprofits, uh, we'd certainly love um, your recommendations. I'll throw the, um, the postings in the chat as well. Um, and then we will be hiring for some more senior level roles, um, in the near future. We just don't have those postings up yet.
1: Very good. Thank you. Thank you. So it sounds like there's some jobs out there to be had. I know it's a bit of a tight job market, um, but, uh, with unemployment running out, it was a topic that I thought we should explore a little bit within our group, um, you know, folks uh, that have been laid off uh, are out looking in the job market, and some people are taking advantage of the extra $300. Some people may be taking advantage of the Social Security uh, employee side holiday through the end of the year. Uh, I was going to ask that question next. Are any of you uh, doing the Social Security holiday? If you guys don't know what I'm referring to, that's uh, the President's Executive Order about uh, being able to forego payment of the employee's side. So you leave that money in the employee's paycheck rather than doing the match for social security uh, and payroll tax. I think it's all the payroll tax if I I remember right. But um, the catch is it has to be repaid between January and April or May of next year. So uh, it it gives you some short-term relief, but the borrowing gets repaid in the long term. So I know that all of the food banks in Arizona, the major ones, St. Mary's Community Food Bank of Southern Arizona, Yuma, us, none of us are doing that. And we have not had any employees request that we do so. Um, Curious, any of you guys uh, considering that program?
2: Uh, We're not doing it right now, but uh, I know our CFO is looking for some more guidance on this. Uh, our concern is that uh, employees will face, uh, you know, that additional tax, that repayment of that uh, down the road. So we're being a little cautious about it right now.
1: Yeah, I agree. I wholeheartedly agree, Ray. I mean, Joe. I was looking at Ray while I said your name. There's see, Sally, I struggle with names once
2: again. I'll, I'll send you a T-shirt.
1: <laughs> it's how I'm supplementing my wardrobe now. So,
0: Hey, Dave, Rustin's back on. If you... Um...
1: Oh, Rustin, you there? Sally, you teased me. He
0: is. Unmute, Rustin. Mute, Rustin.
1: Oh, there you are. Hey, there we go. go. So, Sorry, guys. We've been talking about employment. Um, you work for a, one of the largest employers in the state in APS. Are you guys, do you have, have lots of active positions uh, that you're advertising to hire for, or is APS reducing its workforce?
7: So, I mean, I can certainly check in with our labor team and our HR team, but uh, I'll answer directly on APS.com. That's the resource for all of our job postings, and that's updated daily. So that's where I direct everybody that's, that's looking for work. As far as what the future looks like, slowdowns and speed ups, you know, a lot of that is uh, market dependent, uh, and a lot of it has to do with how quickly the state's growing. So um, that's, that's the short answer on that, but I would refer everybody to APS.com uh for the latest and greatest job postings.
4: Okay.
0: Dave Mesa Public Schools has some um openings. Marlowe may want to Yeah. Comment on that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean shared. We we uh I posted our link to our uh HR uh postings uh you know given the certain situation we're in we don't have kids back yet but we are moving in that direction as long as the infection rates continue to go down Um, but with that said we are in um, need of instructional aids and other support staff we have a lot of full-time and part-time positions Uh, we're also looking at adding what we've kind of deemed COVID-19 relief and really what it is is hiring part-time folks to help maybe relieve a teacher who needs to go have lunch and we're not moving kids into the cafeteria and and those types of things. Those positions haven't been posted yet, but we, we um, are going to be probably posting them here shortly. So lots of positions if there are people in need of, of jobs. Thank
1: you. And I know Cigna is a pretty large employer. Erica, do you have anything that you could report on that front? Looking for the mute button. Where is it? Where is it? <laughs> there okay. you go.
0: Sorry. Um, So Cigna hasn't had any layoffs or anything of that nature. Um, We are hiring some positions. Uh, The best place to find those is going to be Cigna.com or jobs.cigna.com. There's currently 77 jobs listed um, open in Arizona. Um, Some a good amount of those are in um, our Cigna medical group um, offices. So, anyone who has medical um, experience or working in a medical office um, and also some frontline positions um, at our Express Scripts uh, facilities, which are in Tempe and uh, mostly they're in Tempe. I think there might be one. And then Chandler If so. Very
1: good, very good. It's, um, so anybody else on employment? layoffs, etc.
5: not- Yes,
0: Hospice of the Valley is looking for RNs and uh, social workers, bereavement counselors. We have had no layoffs at all. In fact, business is booming. So if anybody knows any healthcare professionals that are looking to work in a awesome environment and um, want to um, work for a great company, refer them please to hov.org and um that'll take them wherever they need to go to make application.
1: i'm sorry to hear that business is booming
0: but i know not, me too
1: we're glad uh, that there's some employment opportunities that are related to that so you know, thank we're... you <coughs> excuse me Dave, it's
3: um, with house of refuge just real quick just wanted to let you know the group know that we've reassigned some of our talent and because uh some of the opportunities have shifted we did have a reduction uh, a little bit but we were also again able to reassign because we've been doing really good professional development and you know so we've got a, a staff that has a pretty pretty good scope of experience in several different areas so we reassigned some people and you know, we did have a, a bit of a reduction uh, in staff a while ago, but now, you know, things seem to be pretty stable and we'll be probably moving some people back into other positions. So it's it's kind of a nice little opportunity where they're doing, you know, different things based on their talent and their experience and where, where we're kind of re- engineering ourselves, so to speak, during the interim.
1: Thank you, Mark. Appreciate that. Mark and House of Refuge, everyone. <laughs> um, also in the chat box, uh, Nadia uh, referred back to the AmeriCorps openings on the Macy United Way website, as well as Christine uh, with Noah Webster looking for some part-time help around their campus. So, Few jobs out there. So, if you know anyone that's looking for employment, there's opportunity out there. Let's see if we can't get some people matched up and out of my food line. So, that's our, our hope. I, I gave a tour uh, last week to some uh, ASU students who want to, to help us work out a few uh, little ideas. Um, and uh, they asked me what the growth plan of United Food Bank was and i basically just related our 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 growth plan is that everybody has jobs and they're able to buy their own food and the food bank gets to close and uh, that's really what our mindset is Um, we know that's probably not going to be the reality but uh really that's our hope is is that people are going to be able to be employed and uh, be able to get things that they need uh, from a food bank standpoint, uh, we're continuing to, s- our, our service has been about, has been flat over week after week. So we're still around 1,700, 1,800 families every week. Our food distribution at uh, Mesa, at the Wells Fargo branch at University and Gilbert has concluded and is shifting to Apache Junction. So for the next eight Wednesdays, We'll be uh, at the Wells Fargo on Apache Trail right by a Walmart there out in Apache Junction. So if you know people in the Far East Valley that have uh, some, some hunger issues that they need help with, they can come on over to the Wells Fargo branch. It's going to be drive-through style like it was in Mesa, and uh, we'll, be, we'll be addressing and handing out some food there. Um, we'll also continue to be at the Mesa Convention Center. Uh, through September at least, possibly October. But we're, we're starting to make plans about what it might look like to move back to our Havalina facility or an alternate facility if uh, we have to leave the Mesa Convention Center to do a drive-through. Um, I wanted to note we have staff from uh, Senator McSally's office and I believe Congressman Bigg's office. Uh, I'm going to give you guys a couple of minutes before we welcome Senator McSally. Uh, Lee, do you want, uh, you want a couple of minutes? You can sing a song. You can share whatever you'd like. No, I simply want to say thank you to all for um, what uh, you all do in the community, especially during this hard time that uh, COVID has had such a, a effect on us. So thank you very much to all of you.
7: Dave, I have anything to offer for the group. Um, we're launching our Supply My Class campaign uh, tomorrow. This is our third year. So if anybody on the call knows a teacher that's working in a Title I school that's in APS service territory, uh, please encourage them to go to SupplyMyClass.com. It takes about 60 seconds to fill out the application, and if they're selected from the pool, uh, they can win a $500 gift card, which they can use to purchase supplies for their classroom, just like the name implies. So. That starts tomorrow at noon. Uh, Supplymyclass.com is the website and you can follow me on Twitter. I'll be posting about that as well.
1: Nice, thank you, Rustin, appreciate that. That's that's a fun process. It's fun to see the teachers that win. They get pretty excited. Uh, David Romney and Abby, did you guys want anything to add anything? Uh, We have a few minutes before we welcome Senator McSally.
7: Yeah, thank you, Dave. Um, Just to echo what Lee said, First of all, thank you all so much for everything that you're doing for residents of the East Valley. Um, We saw firsthand, uh, Lee and I went out to House of Refuge last Friday morning with Sally. Uh, It was really remarkable to see, you know, people from all walks of life are in need right now, uh, based on the economic impacts that everyone's feeling. So thank you all for what you're doing. Um, And in that same vein, if there are volunteer opportunities for us and our staff here in the district to uh, help out, whether that's a food giveaway or some other kind of program, please contact my office. I'll post our, our contact information in the chat box. But if you guys would like to reach out to us, if you have opportunities where we can come and serve, uh, we're more than happy to do so.
1: Thanks, David. Abby, I guess we'll reserve uh, for you uh, all of Martha's time, unless you have something you want to add real quick.
0: No, nope, you guys don't get to hear from me and hear my voice this week.
6: You guys get the senators. so. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Very good. Uh, Referring back to the chat group, uh, Sue Wilcox from Park University posted that they have a couple of positions open. The high school relations manager and an academic success coach, those both sound incredibly interesting uh, jobs. Uh, Michelle, thanks for adding the link to the Cigna Jobs Board. Um, And then, uh, oh, so TJ asked a question about the Wells Fargo and Apache Junction. Uh, We will be there every Wednesday night from uh, starting about we start setting up at 5 p.m. We usually open the lines about 5.45 or so and it runs until the food runs out. Usually we in Mesa, we had been serving 300 families in about 50 minutes, so it goes incredibly quickly. Um, I don't expect it to go quite as quickly in Apache Junction and I expect it to be able, the crowd to be a little bit smaller. It's just you can't move people on horseback through the lines as quickly as cars and loading into the saddlebags takes a little extra time. So. So, <laughs> sorry, Sally. Um, you know, my—that's my. I told my staff. I said, in the eight-week period, we're going to hand out food here. We will have one person come through here on horseback. So, you know, and I'm guessing every Wednesday night we'll have somebody come through with a gun strapped to their hip. So, that's Apache Junction for you, and we love it. I love Apache Junction. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, so. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, Uh, TJ, those come if you want to volunteer, just come show up. We'll put you to work somehow. Uh, We're at uh, again, we we start setting up about five o'clock. All right. Is Martha in the green room yet? Not yet. Okay. All right. Any minute,
0: right, Abby?
1: Hey, Dave. Yes. Alicia. Yes. How are you?
6: Good. How are you? Good. Good. Hey, about the food distributions that you guys are doing at the, at the Convention Center and out in Apache Junction. You said you were going to continue to do those possibly through October, is that what you said?
1: Possibly. So we do have a, an agreement with Mesa to do them through the end of September. Uh, they had an event, the last event in, uh, the, at the Convention Center in October has now canceled. And so uh, they, the city has been funding the use of the Convention Center staff and the Convention Center itself through CARES Act money. So we're reviewing the budget there to see if there's sufficient funding in the budget to be able to continue to use the Convention Center through the end of October.
6: And then do you find, I'm just kind of curious because some people have asked me about this. Do you are you finding that like the smaller food pantries that normally do the distributions? I mean, because that's not really been your gig, except for like the Friday Fresh Food kind of thing. Um, are you finding that they're needing less food because people are coming through the Friday? Do you, I mean? Do you
1: know? so, so yeah, I know what you're asking, Alicia, and it's the right question. I appreciate you asking that. the um, The we're not seeing people divert from other food banks to our distribution because of the drive through distribution we're doing on Fridays. We're seeing less people at other agencies because of the Farmers to Family Food Box program. So right now that Farmers to Families Food Box program is being distributed to any nonprofit organization or church that will take delivery of the items if they have a relationship with the vendor. And so 75 million boxes nationwide have been distributed over the last four months into the communities. And it's great product, fresh fruits and vegetables, dairy, sour cream, all kinds of really, really good stuff. Um, and so it's wonderful that they're out there, but we have seen a corresponding decrease in demand uh, in at some of our usual TFAP-related distributions because of it. Now we're we're, We haven't seen an overall drop in our emergency food box number because of what we do at Wells Fargo. It kind of levels that out, but we typically do about 40,000 a month and of the actual TFAP, we're only doing about uh, 32,000 a month right now. So that's a decrease in eight, but that is not a correlating decrease in demand. What's happening is that other farmers to family food box program I I get calls from churches, I get calls from uh, rotary clubs that have leftover boxes from those programs asking if I can take them off their hands. We always say yes, we take them, we put them out in the community, and we put them to good use. So um, it's been a little bit of a...
0: The senator is entering the room. (laughs) Just a heads up.
1: She muted me. That's funny. Um, so uh, so least I hope that answers your question. Yeah, it does. Thank you. Very good.
0: All right. Okay. Uh, so yeah, I'm looking for her on the call. There she is. All right. Senator, you are muted. There you are. Good. Hi. Thanks so much for being here. Hey, before we get started, I just want to say thank you on behalf of the Chamber and our Board of Directors and all of our committees, We've appreciated your support. But you know we appreciate you having your staffers involved in all of our committees, from the Industry and Defense Council to this call, our financial network, our aging committee. I mean, we feel very supported, and we love the engagement. So I just wanted to say thank you, because it's really important to us.
6: Absolutely, Sally. I hope everybody's hanging in there.
0: We're hanging in there. Yeah. So I'm going to turn this over to Dave and he's going to uh, give a little overview and then um, we're going to hear from you. Sounds good. Thank you. Senator
1: McSally, it's great to see you again.
6: Good to see you, Dave. Virtually soon in person. One of these days we will defeat this pandemic.
1: Can't wait. Can't wait. So, just a reminder to everyone on the call that this is uh, uh, we're hosting Senator McSally in her official capacity in her Senate office. This is not a uh, related to the campaigns that are going on. I know as nonprofit leaders we're all sensitive to our nonprofit status and campaigning and that kind of uh, perception. Uh, we were reached out to by the Senator staff uh, to have her come and talk about issues that are facing The country and specifically things that are happening in the Senate. So just wanted to frame that a little bit uh, for you, Senator, and uh, maybe we could uh, start out your comments with uh, some questions about the cares act been lots of talk about a second stimulus. What are you seeing in the Senate.
6: Yeah, thanks, Dave. Uh, I first want to say thanks uh, to all of you for uh, just everything you do uh, for the residents of Mesa and uh, especially in this first-in-a-century pandemic. I mean, what you do every single day is so critical, but I mean, this it's just been an extraordinarily difficult year, so I hope you're all hanging in there personally as well and, and, you know, yourself, your health, your loved ones. uh, So many kids, I'm sure have kids running around, not in school and just like the real challenges that are happening in everybody's lives and, you know, the impact on so many people in the community as well. This is a a whole of society approach to this. And so when the pandemic hit and uh, Sally's heard me, you know, talking on uh, many calls, many chamber type calls about this, we, you know, our, our thinking in those early days uh, was just speed was the most important thing to just get relief out the door as quickly as possible. And the federal government and speed are, are not usually in the same sentence, but we really felt like on top of the impact, the health impact of this virus and the economic impact, we just didn't want the economy spiraling down and, and economic collapse and the additional uh, catastrophe that would come from that. So when people were asked not to work in order to save other people's lives, we were just trying to blunt the blow and get cash out the door as quickly as possible uh, through as many means as possible. So that included the you know stimulus checks and the Paycheck Protection Program uh, and the expanded unemployment. It was just like, <clears throat> get money out the door make sure that small businesses can stay afloat, people can hang in there, employees and employers can stay connected to each other and people can put food on the table and pay their bills as we were hunkering down uh, to, you know, still learning a lot about the virus. So I'm just trying to think, you know, go back to where we were at the time, which was, you know, speed and when obviously you do something with speed, uh, it's not perfect. And so since then, we've been trying to make sure we identify where's the gaps and what else needs to be done. Um, and, uh, you know, we've heard from a lot in the nonprofit community about a number of issues. And so in May, um, I was a part of a bipartisan letter to Senator McConnell and uh, Minority Leader Chuck Schumer on a number of the issues that were brought uh, to attention by the nonprofit community, one of them being the definition of um the you know, small business with uh, 500 employees or less for the nonprofit community, we've seen, uh, it, and the way it was defined for, say, franchise owners or, you know, hotel chains that they were able to define in a way and have the ability for those small business owners to be able to get PPP. So it's the same uh, kind of model uh, could should be or could be available uh, for the nonprofit community. If you're part of a larger national umbrella organization, but you've got an Arizona chapter or a local chapter, treat it the same way. So we engaged, you know, on that issue. Also, the um, the self-employed, I'd love to hear uh, from any of you on the, the self-insured sorry, unemployment and um, the impact. I you know the CARES Act provided for, I think 50% to be reimbursed, but, you know, asking for that to just be hundred percent. Nobody could have imagined when a nonprofit sets up to be, you know, self-insured that we'd be dealing with a, a pandemic like this. And so, you know, looking for opportunities for us to move uh, something forward so that you're not going to be getting that bill. Um, the charitable, Uh, You know, the above the line, um, $300 above the line, and then changing the adjusted gross income uh, limitations. For just trying to encourage people to give, you know, give to charities, give to nonprofits that are out there helping people. You know, I did um, this myself as well. You know, I gave up my paycheck. I'm not independently wealthy, but I have an emergency fund, and this is an emergency, right? To be able to help people, uh, just help organizations out there, help people, you know, personally. But so uh, some people, you know, don't need that incentive, but the tax incentive of being able to have the above the line, and then and then increasing corporations from being able to do 10% to 25%, just to be able to help, because I wanna hear from you how the uh, contributions, uh, how you're seeing, um, I'm just, you know, assuming there's been some real challenges where you have more need, you probably have less money coming in, you just, you know, it's uh, uh, just extraordinary. I'm being squeezed on both ends, basically, more to do with less resources. So we were trying to do our part at the federal level to incentivize uh, people who could give, to be able to give more and give them those tax incentives. And again, would love to hear uh, feedback on how, how that's going for all of you. So as far as the next next steps, we have been in um, painstaking discussions about uh, what more needs to be done, and um, you know the approach we're taking in the Senate anyway is to try and provide targeted relief as we still are fighting to defeat this virus. So we still need to be investing in testing and treatments and cures, because ultimately uh, that's our path out of this, but more targeted relief uh, to small businesses, those that have been impacted, uh, that are still being impacted, businesses with restrictions, very difficult. If If you know anybody like in the restaurant business, it's already tough to deal with margins, but if you're under restrictions for long periods of time, many of them are gonna go under. So more support to small businesses, support to schools, Uh, as they're making modifications, trying to reopen and provide safe in-person uh, in-person support, um, you know, more uh, support to individuals for the unemployment uh, benefits. And there's, again, just we hear from a lot of small businesses that are really having a hard time. I uh, heard from many of them actually today and some other meetings, um, bringing people back to work. So what's the sweet spot of having the social safety net because we're not gonna be at 3.5% unemployment anytime soon as we continue to move forward, we hope to get back there. So we, we need that real safety net for those who cannot work for health reasons or the job's not there, but we also do wanna incentivize work. We don't wanna disincentivize work. So how do we balance that with thoughtful public policy? Unfortunately, a lot of this uh, does get politicized uh, because it's Washington DC and that's just what happens, but we're trying to be the adults in the room about targeted relief. Um, we've you know, we already um, invested $3 trillion directly, plus the additional things that we authorized for the Uh, the Federal uh, Reserve and their facilities and their lending. And so, you know, we feel that more support, I feel more support is needed, but we need to be targeted about it and um, focus on defeating the virus, supporting uh, people being able to provide for their families, do that safely, um, and, uh, you know, anything else we need to do in order to allow people to sensibly and safely, you know, return to work, uh, and support our frontline healthcare heroes. So we're in those conversations. They're stalled. If you turn on the TV, you <clears throat> probably can see, although I, I wouldn't rec- recommend that it's bad for your health to be watching, uh, you know, cable news uh, throughout the day, but, uh, they are stalled right now. Um, uh, so what we're trying to do in the Senate is, um, uh be the adults in the room and at least bring something forward next week uh for a vote to try and jump start the negotiations again but ultimately it's going to take, you know, this is Schoolhouse Rock. It's going to take the House and the Senate and the administration to find some uh, common ground on this. So uh, I get up every morning, glasses half full. I hope springs eternal, but it is Washington D.C. Unfortunately, in a election year where some things are being politicized. So I really want to hear from all of you to hear what other needs you might have and some of these things we can address um administratively you know we've engaged with um you know uh, department of agriculture you know for example on extending the um uh, the the waivers related to school nutrition programs and um you know things like that so a lot of these things can be addressed administratively but if it literally takes an act of congress then we do have to uh, get it in a piece of legislation that can get through all uh, bodies but i want to make sure i stay grounded in, in what you all really need
1: Thank you yeah there's a lot going on' uh, it's, it's amazing watching everybody balance that. Um, you know you mentioned charitable tax deductions and and you know many of the nonprofit leaders that that I've spoken with saw a, a correlation in, in giving last year in a drop uh, because of the changes in the tax law with the increase in the standard individual deduction. Um, so, and then COVID hit and then all, all modeling and all, mm. it's all gotten so crazy. Yeah, it's um, difficult. Yeah, it's
6: difficult to know causality, right? Um, but yeah.
1: Right, so the, in that process, the state tax credit that Arizona offers became very valuable. It was more, because it was a credit, it was more valuable on your taxes. We also had the ruling that either you had to take it as a state or a federal deduction, you couldn't double dip. Right. Um, so that all came together about the same time. Is there any talk in the Senate uh, about uh, charitable deductions and how those might be characterized in the future on taxation?
6: Yes, Uh, again, the conversations right now are still focused on uh, COVID. And I will say in the Senate, uh, Senator James Lankford has really been uh, a key leader on this. He's from Oklahoma, Um, really wanting to increase even more the above uh, the line uh, deduction options. And like many things, Uh, in the pandemic if we've seen something as a positive um, you know for the short term the conversation is what why don't we continue it for the longer term we've seen this with telemedicine for example right if we're if we're seeing changes that are positive in that regard then um, why not uh, continue to institute it so um, those are uh, certainly conversations that are ongoing and probably i don't think i'd have to go look at it i don't think extending i mean it's for this whole year obviously uh the above the line uh so these this would be going into calendar year you know 2021 that we would have to have uh uh, additional legislation on to extend that um extend that longer so that's probably not going to be in what we might vote on next week uh, because we're dealing with the tyranny of the urgent Uh, but i do know there's uh, many uh, conversations about the benefits of that and uh, again it's going to be hard to see how much of an impact that made because there's just so much instability going on in in, in the you know in people's finances and their their patterns and their giving. So to be, I think it'd be challenging to see what impact that even made in the CARES Act just because everything's unstable. Uh, but that doesn't mean it's it's not good policy uh, to be able to encourage people to give who you know don't don't itemize. So we're I'm mindful of it, and um, you know as we as we move forward and we're looking at policies in 2021, I think these are, these are common sense things that we can say, hey, this was popular and people did it. And I guess we could see if people are giving, a, you know, writing above the line, putting the deduction there, I guess you'll see it when people file. Um, whether they were incentivized to do that or not is the question, right? Like, I mean, I'm going to give anyway, but uh, other people maybe are, are motivated differently from that. So I think that's something that makes sense to uh, add. Sorry, my golden retriever is chewing on something down <laughs> here
1: on a zoom call unless a dog makes
6: insurance appearance somewhere so it's a he's a plastic packaging <laughs> all right everybody has to say hi to boomer just really quick <laughs> say hi buddy hey. <laughs> all right
0: anyway he's a, yeah, he's a rescue
6: so us. also came from a, a, a non-profit uh, supporting rescues nice
1: I think I'm going to make bumper stickers. Get out of my way. I'm suffering from the tyranny of the urgent. I love that phrase that you do. Yeah. So, yeah. Very good. I know you've yeah, that work. a lot
6: in the military. Like, that was a way. Okay, guys, are we dealing with the tyranny of the urgent right now? You know, so it's a, uh, yep. Yeah.
1: That's that's a perfect segue, because I was going to ask about some work with veterans. We know that uh, you, you've, thank you for your service. Yeah. Um, and you. You, you do a lot of work with veterans, um, you know, and, and, you know, we want to to make sure that there's events available for veterans and first responders who are struggling with different issues. Yeah. There's Also, something out there that I don't know a lot about called the Mission Act. Somebody submitted a question about the Mission Act. Yeah. Uh, give you a few
6: moments to speak on. Yeah, that. so, okay, so I get my care at the VA, uh, so I'm like the secret shopper to see the, you know, the, the challenges that a lot of veterans have. Uh, and look, what we saw happen, if you remember, back when uh, actually, unfortunately, Phoenix VA was ground zero for some of the scandals that were happening where people were cooking the books while veterans were waiting in line for care. And so what we did immediately after that was, uh, and this was actually Senator McCain really led this effort, was something called VA Choice Act. And this was instead of, you know, spending months trying to solve the problem for the long term, when we had veterans like right now waiting for uh, specialist appointments, we just, you know, we had to do something fast. And so the Choice Act was allowing an initial kind of ability for veterans to get care in the community in a quicker way, right? So if they couldn't get an appointment to the VA, they could at least go downtown and get that care. And what we did with the VA Mission Act is we, we there's all these different, that was one of many care in the community procedures that the bureaucracy had at the VA, which is often very confusing for the veteran. Veterans are often getting bills in the mail. So the VA Mission Act, which was signed into law over a year ago, um, was streamlining all of the care in the community programs into one and essentially providing more flexibility for veterans if they lived in a rural area and they didn't feel like taking a you know 2 hour trip into the Phoenix VA for something and there was a specialist right there in their rural area they could go to that or if uh, their appointment was going to be too long at a VA facility, they could go out into the community. And so it's streamlined all those programs into one. It's been implemented now uh, just for a little while. So, you know, we've already seen some real positives um, in how veterans are benefiting from this, uh, being able to get the care they need at the place they desire, instead of having to, you know, uh, travel or wait in line uh, for uh, for care from the, the VA. So, you know, just like Anything is the second biggest bureaucracy. Uh, we have veterans caseworkers in our office, and sometimes we have veterans that are that are still, or, or you have bureaucrats still haven't gotten the message that uh, you know there's a new system in place, and uh, the veteran needs to get that care. And so we have you know caseworkers that help our veterans also break through. So if you hear of any veterans that are having issues with the VA, or they feel like. They're having to wait too long for something, then have them reach out to my office uh, or, or any of the congressional delegation. Uh, and we have full-time caseworkers uh, to help them. Uh, I want to point out uh, two more quick things on veterans, if I could. The, the president just signed into law about three weeks ago my latest bill on veterans treatment courts. Uh, this is something I saw firsthand um, when I first visited the veterans treatment court in Tucson, and they've popped up. I think we've got Nine of them in Arizona, they they sort of local initiatives, honestly, the one in Tucson was a Marine who became a judge and decided to create this a treatment court because many veterans come back with post-traumatic stress or traumatic brain injury and they get uh, mental health issues that are untreated or um, addiction issues that are related to their service, but they just get lost in the shuffle and some of them get in trouble with the law. And instead of having them again, spiral down, going, you know, into the criminal justice system, it gives them the chance to get treatment and have accountability from other veterans. It's extremely powerful. I'm sitting around a table with, a Vietnam vet, a veteran from my generation, and the veteran from the younger generation, several of them holding each other accountable for their decisions and their in their treatment. And it's just extraordinary. It saves so many lives from veteran suicide and addiction overdoses. And so my bill actually allows this to now be standardized, like nationwide, managed out of the Department of Justice with technical assistance and grants, so that it's not just you hoping you have someone in your community, but you have the ability to have these all over the country. So that's a really big deal. And there's one more thing I want to point out. There's um, some nonprofits out there, there that are doing I think tremendous stuff non-traditional treatment for veterans a lot of my fellow veterans they get given a prescription they get drugged up uh, when they've got post-traumatic stress or traumatic brain injury but there's some nonprofits that are doing things related to what's called post-traumatic growth uh, where again it's, it's non-traditional approach for uh, with, with a full kind of wraparound to include every element of your life and your family Uh, to provide opportunities for you, again, not to just be given a prescription, but to find healing and uh, strength uh, from the traumas that you went through. And we've got some in Arizona that are great examples. So I have legislation that's been included now in major um, vet mental health legislation, specifically with a pilot program on post-traumatic growth and bringing in nonprofits, because really there's so many nonprofits that have Uh, expertise and passion to helping our veterans and this isn't one size fits all out of the VA and the government and so at least exploring how um, nonprofits can be partnering to help veterans because every veteran is you know not going to take the same exact path for their own mental health treatment so this was originally my piece of this which was this pilot program including nonprofits and post-traumatic growth the VA kicked it out of the bill they didn't want it in there Uh, and then I pushed the VA committee to push it back in because I really think insanity is doing the same thing over and over again expecting a different result and we've thrown a lot of money at veterans mental health and we still have 20 veterans a day committing suicide so we've got to try some different things to see what else might work
1: wonderful news those are great pieces uh I, i don't think those have been uh well and wide reported so that's good to hear uh, need to compliment both you and Senator Cinema's uh, staff, as you guys have excellent casework both on a local level and out of D.C. Uh, you know the customer service that you get—if if customer service is the right word—out of both of our senator Senate offices is, is exemplary and I think a model for the country. Um, thank so thank you. Uh, so I'm gonna—we only have about nine minutes. Want to be respectful of your time. I got an interesting question that was sent to us about Opportunity Zones and yeah. I don't know if you know a lot about Opportunity Zones. Uh, they're being factored in in our, some of our federal feeding programs now. Uh, they're being factored in under an executive order for federal agencies to locate projects in Opportunity Zones, particularly in downtown Cores. Yeah. Plus what you know about Opportunity Zones and what's, uh, you know, there's, there seems like there's some opportunity that's presenting itself there. Uh, for local communities, so
0: talk more about that.
6: Absolutely, you know, this was a really incredible initiative that was in the uh, tax cut legislation of 2017. That was Tim Scott's uh, idea, uh, Senator Tim Scott from South Carolina. And the whole idea is uh, to create the tax incentive for investors to invest in underserved communities. Uh, and so a lot of times you have investors that have cash or capital sitting on the sidelines, And so, this the opportunity zones actually create a tax incentive for them to, you know, create projects. And I've been at the ribbon cutting of several of them. I see Scott Seeley's on the on the call here, Uh, so he's familiar with these as well. Uh, Just you know, in often distressed and underserved communities, is an opportunity to create jobs and to help transform uh, communities uh, that are that are often overlooked. And so uh, it's it's really an incredible uh, initiative. Uh, there's uh, it was all identified by each state. It was all based on uh, census data. Uh, what does, you know where the zones were created, and we've just seen so far really tremendous examples of that kind of investment. And we can certainly do more. So uh, you know we've uh, we're pushing on more flexibility related to these tax incentives uh, and opportunity zones because I still, especially as we're recovering from this pandemic which we will defeat and we will recover. I know we feel like this is our new normal. It's not, we're, we're going to get through this. I think people need to have that kind of realistic optimism uh, that we're still gonna need that types of investment, especially in underserved communities. And I don't know if uh, Scott, you wanna jump in. I don't wanna be here you know, too much, but it's, it's really an incredible program. That's a lot of people just don't know much about. And I think it's a great model for uh, using tax incentives or private sector investment and things that really matter, and make a difference for people. Scott, you want to chime in?
8: Well, just especially relevant to to our group here, um, it it specifically encourages investment in things like low income housing, mm-hmm. uh, health uh, community health clinics, uh, potentially the kinds of facilities that the group here uses for uh, you know food uh, food banks and other sorts of things. Right, can be part of. Opportunity zone projects and you take, you know, investment dollars from from successful people in other places, it's it's to their benefit to put them into projects that have a positive community impact. And um, as we're looking at, you know, especially the area around the chamber and in downtown Mesa, and um, there's kind of a ribbon of along Main Street that falls in the opportunity zone. Affordable housing is one of the obvious things that uh, Opportunity zones.
1: Yeah. Awesome. That's 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 good to hear about. Um, especially as we look at uh, the food bank, maybe we maybe we need to take advantage of an opportunity zone to finance some uh, some streamlining of yeah. our operations. Um, one last question for you, going out here. Um, there's a lot going on with federal feeding programs. We talked a little bit about the extension of the. Uh, Summer feeding waivers, Uh, I think they've been extended to the end of the year. I know there's a push to extend those to the end of the school year, if possible. That has to be done by the end of October if they're going to do it administratively. Um, But there's a lot of feeding programs uh, going on with the Farmers to Family Boxes, uh, TFAP, SNAP. Talk a little bit about uh, continuing support for farmers, for food manufacturers, uh and food banks going forward as the pandemic Yeah absolutely
6: I mean as you know there was a, there was a lot in the cares act related to this 850 million um for, you know, support to um, food banks, uh, both administrative and the actual, you know, uh, using the, purchasing the farmer's food and bringing them to the food banks. I volunteered at uh, several food banks uh, during uh, April and May, you know, seeing firsthand the benefit of that. I think 600 million of that was set aside specifically for that. And then you've got the the farmers to family, I think 5 million of those food boxes have already been delivered. Um, So the authorization, there's no end date in the cares act related to that it's a matter of we appropriated the money and then administratively you know they've um, had dates that they keep pushing on some of these some of these things like the like the uh, school nutrition programs so um we're keeping an eye on the um you know the expenses of or the the uh, appropriations of it to as far as I know, there's still enough resources in there to continue uh, these programs. So it's not like we need an act of Congress to uh, reauthorize you know, past a certain date. So we have engaged with the um, administration on several of these to continue to move the dates. Um, because I think one of them, uh, I wanna say the f- extension of the SNAP benefits, something uh, expires on September 18th, I wanna say, but they're... Ex- expected, we're hearing anyway, that they're expected to uh, extend that uh, further, but that's all administrative. So what we do is we engage with, uh, you know, Department of Agriculture, and we say, hey, you really need to extend this date. And as as long as the resources are there, um, this is something I think that is a a pretty uh, no-brainer thing to do to be able to help uh, get through, you know, get through the remainder of the year. Uh, On the school year, though, Dave, what, which thing do you say we
0: need
1: to have? So yeah. the, summer, the summer feeding waivers, uh, they've been using that authorization to serve off-site, me- well, yeah. not off-site yep. meals, but non-cafeteria-style meals. Yeah, I'm familiar. Yeah. yeah. But you're saying we have to, in order to do that through
6: the entire school year, it has to happen before the end of October?
1: Yeah. Yeah, there's there's an additional waiver that can take place for it to go be able to run to the end of the year. Got and it. That hasn't okay. been, been authorized. Okay. So, okay. If well, it goes past the end of October, then it needs an act of Congress to do it. So. Okay, got
6: it. That's good to know.
1: All yeah, right. I, a, I, I generally a, say, like, does this literally take
6: an act of Congress? And you know, sometimes it does, but um, if it doesn't, you know, that's easier, especially right now. Um, but uh, th- thanks for bringing that to our attention. So um, that's, the that's of
1: the urgent, right? Yeah, <laughs>
6: so exactly.
1: I do need to compliment and thank uh, the work that has happened on the federal side related to CARES Act in getting resources out for us to be able to handle the surge. Uh, of people that have been unemployed and looking for food assistance. We felt very well supported and so I want to thank you. And I know a lot of the colleagues of ours on this call, uh, their organizations benefited in a number of ways uh, from the food boxes and, and the food that was put out there. Awesome. Food has a tremendous calming effect on the public and if they have the resources that they need. Toilet paper, that's a whole different story, but for for food at least people were able to to eat. And so I want to thank you guys for the work you
6: did on that. Yeah, absolutely. Dave, like I said, you know, this is a, a all of all of society. Right. So we just, you know, we've got resources out there, but we're not the operators on the ground. You all are. Right. So we had to get them out to state and local governments, you know, get it out available for nonprofits. You're, you're the ones that are meeting people's needs on the ground. I'll tell you when I was volunteering at the food bank, I mean, just like heart wrenching stories, as you know, you know, families coming through, uh, rough circumstances. Never, never needed assistance before. You know, first time coming through. I mean, I'm no kidding. I sent someone on my team when I was volunteering at the Salvation Army. Who, uh, you know, needed maxi pads, and I was like, "We need some maxi pads." And I said, "One of the guys on my team, go buy some maxi pads. Just stop being embarrassed. Like this, these people need support. You know, and uh, here, here's my credit card. Uh, just go get them. You know. Uh, but it's just like, oh, you know, it's just there's so you know, there's just so much need there. And from so many people who, I mean, people up and down my street where I live, you know, we're living paycheck to paycheck and all of a sudden the floor falls out from underneath them. And, you know, eventually they got the stimulus check and they got, but you know, you gotta get through the, you gotta get through those weeks. If you're living week to week to week, you know, you've gotta be able to get through. So you guys were all, you know, standing in the gap for these people. We were just putting fuel in the tank, you know, but you you all were meeting the needs on the ground and the intent you know, was to get those resources out as many ways possible to to help people. So thanks so much for um, you know, all your hard work during a very uncertain time.
1: Thank you. On, on behalf of all the members of the Nonprofit Vitality Council, we appreciate you taking some time. I promised uh, we did not at 5 o'clock. It's now 5 o'clock. Um, if you want to take a minute or two to, to wrap up uh, or if you feel, uh, you know, I didn't know if you wanted to, I, if, if you want to talk about something I didn't ask you about that you felt was urgent for the
6: profit group to know well just
1: stay and stay engaged i mean we've we've
6: got great relationships with you our staff does but you know keep us posted if you ever have any ideas like we're in the midst of a lot of conversations if you have ideas of things that need to uh, get fixed either administratively or they take an act of Congress. You know, we happen to be in a position to do that. Uh, so we often get great brainstorming ideas from meetings like this that we bring back and say, hey, let's try and, you know, institute this and make it happen. So uh, there's no bad ideas in the brainstorming phase, right, is always the way it is. So just uh, get those ideas to us. And, um, you know, we're we're just we're all in this together, as you know. We just we're doing our part. You all are stepping in uh, in the gap and helping so many people under extraordinarily Really challenging circumstances uh, we will get through this but keep engaged uh, with us uh, let us know what your needs are what ideas you may have uh, and you know we're we're, we're here representing and uh, honored to be in the in the position to be able to do that
1: thank you Senator McSally appreciate your time Sally I'll kick it back to you
0: you know I think everything was said that needed to be said Senator thank you so much for your time we appreciate right. it we appreciate your staff and you know Anytime you want to come back and give us more updates, just let us know.
1: All right. Thanks, thanks, thanks for you. Abby. We love Abby. She does a great job. Yes,
0: we, we do. do. All right. All right. Great.
1: She's Thank right here.
0: Center. All right. Thank you. All. you guys. Come hang in there. Take care. Thank you. Thanks
5: everybody for being on the call today. All right. See everybody Next in a couple time. of weeks.